This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. And look, the piece of advice I would give is there's plenty of time to fathers. Now, what is, they're like, whoa, what? No, time is running short. That's not what I mean. There's plenty of time. So when your daughter pulls you aside and says something, you have three minutes to listen. There's plenty of time. You have it. You have 10 minutes to go out and play superheroes with your kid or teach or teach him how to parallel park. There's plenty of time. And that's what I mean by there's plenty of time. If you are sitting here thinking, I don't have time to do that, you have just gone off the reservation, man. Dory one, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to Military Veteran Dad episode 103. Like I said, I can't tell you how excited I get every time I say an episode number in the hundreds. Still not sure how long it's gonna the excitement's going to be there, but at episode 103, it is definitely still there. Today's episode is amazing. As I was getting ready for this episode, I was just deeply touched with the content. Again, just as much as I was when I recorded it way back in, I believe, in early November or late October. And today, I'm speaking with Errol Dobler. And Errol Dobler just released a book, which is what brought him to the podcast. But his story is so rich in depth with struggle, purpose, figuring things out. He's a Navy SEAL. He graduated from the Navy Academy. Naval Academy. He's a former FBI agent. Him and his wife actually met at the FBI. They both now work in his business leader, 193. Just an amazing individual that has a rich heart, a rich story. And as we've said a couple times recently on the podcast, one man's story is another man's door. And I believe this particular episode will be a very solid door for a few key individuals out there that listen to this podcast regularly. Because what Errol talks about is connecting to yourself, connecting to your soul, finding those areas. He brings it into business beautifully. We tie a couple different themes together. This episode is everything that I needed to go into my week, getting ready for what's going on, and just reconnecting with everything that is being a dad. And like always, if you want to hear my biggest takeaway, hang on to the other side of this episode, and I will be back on the microphone and without further ado, let's get started with Errol Dobler. Welcome to the podcast, Errol. Well, good to be here, Ben. I appreciate you having me on. We haven't had too many Navy SEALs in the podcast, which is odd because there's so many Navy SEALs out there are doing podcasts. And I just I think they're just not in my preferred vision right now. 
But I'm so glad that you came to my life because you just recently launched a book. You've got an amazing story. And what I love when I have talked to Navy SEALs and I've heard them speak is they just bring a dichotomy to life that most people aren't really seeing and viewing the dichotomy of life. And so I've always loved talking to a Navy SEAL because they bring that both sides of the stone that most people aren't actually looking at. So welcome to podcast. Well, I appreciate it. And we are kind of out there a lot these days, but, uh, you know, and I pay attention to what the members of the brotherhood are doing. I, I feel like they're representing themselves well with, you know, with this kind of increased awareness as to who we are and what we're doing. And, and I, I think everybody is kind of playing very close to that quiet professional. It doesn't mean silent professional. It doesn't mean you can't talk about who you are or some of the things you did. You've got to be honest about it. You've got to make sure you tell the things you're allowed to tell. <laughs> okay. And, there, and we don't keep it exaggerated, but you know, there's, there's a lot of good things to share. So. So tell us a little bit about your family life. Well, I have a very exciting family life. I have three kids under seven or seven and under. So I, my son, Henry is seven. My daughter, Camille uh, is six. And my daughter, Levi is, I guess, 20 months now. Give me a weird look when I say I have three under eight. So having three under seven, I'm sure you probably get just a slightly more like, God, I can't imagine what your life is. I always shortcut it and say it's like living in an Instapod. It's always under pressure. <laughs> well, and what, you know, and then you couple the fact that I'm 52 years old and they're like, oh, late start, did you? And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, now I'm going to have to live to 115 and that's cool. <laughs> so, um, but we, uh, you know, that's, those are the kids we we pulled them out of school so we could homeschool them just because we, we liked, you know, we weren't totally comfortable with the school's plans. And that's not a knock on them. They're doing the best they can. We just pulled them out. So now, you know, me and my wife, who both work in the business, we're both part of Leader 193, you know, we're, we're splitting time between schooling and working. So she does the schooling by and large. And then when the school's done, I go down and then I handle them for the rest of the night and she comes up and she works. And so that's what we've been doing to get by. But, and then not to mention, we've got the three dogs. We've got two Rhodesian Ridgebacks and a pit bull. So we've got about 250 pounds of dogs floating around as well. That's quite the household there. And also we were talking about dichotomy. It sounds like you and your wife have found a nice balance of that dichotomy of raising your family, but then also being able to build a thriving business and, not have it be something that builds resentment towards each other, that it's actually something that you both find harmony within the same business. Well, it is. And and I can tell you, it is working and it's working well. You know, we made a joke before we got on about, oh, if somebody says everything's fine, it's not fine. And we, we're making it work and, and we're pretty happy in the spot we're in, but that didn't come with its bumps to get there, right? It was, okay, let's do this. This is random. This is chaos. This is no planning. And now we're getting emotionally charged. Let's redo it. Now, what does it look like? A little better, still not so good. This one is, you know, we had to, what we finally had to say was, we're trying to make this easy. Right, we're trying to make it somehow figure out it, it can be easy to do the homeschooling and work the business, and especially when business is falling off, for just like it is for just about everybody except for Amazon. Um, you know, we, we finally had to say, "All right, stop." No matter what, it's if we do it right, it's going to be really hard. What's the most practical way to do it? And then this is what we came up with, and it's and it's worked out good. So, but you know, not easy, but. We're making Let's get some of the meat and potatoes of your life. When did you leave the Navy SEALs? 
So I, I, I left the SEAL team a while ago. I was, uh, I left, I got medically discharged in 1999 and I got uh, injured on deployment. Um, and we were actually, remember the nineties there, there wasn't a whole lot of work to go around. And I was on, we were on deployment and we actually got tasked with an operation and I got injured on the, on the rehearsal for the operation. Um, and then, you know, just was battling some, some personal demons as well in a, in a previous marriage. And, uh, so we, I took the medical discharge and then I spent, you know, about three years in the private sector. And then that's when I joined the FBI after some events of, you know, I was in the city on nine 11 and then spent 13 years in the FBI. When did you meet your first wife or the wife that you have now? That was in 1996. So I, I met her in 1996 and it was kind of a, for all you, you know, your military veterans out there, I, I just fell right into that silliness. I was deployed down to South America, met a girl down there, you know, fell in love. <clears throat> and, you know, look, we were both equally at fault for everything that happened because we both made a rash decision. But, um, and then, heck, I was married for a year. I mean, it was, it was like, it was a, quick. A, it was a blink. Uh, but boy, we made that year count for the lessons that we that we took away from it. But yeah, that was that was then. I do have a question that kind of just popped in my head as you were talking about leading into the FBI. You talked about maybe falling apart a little bit in your family life. Many Navy SEALs almost instinctively understand how to apply the same mission capabilities they learned to win on the battlefield in business. But I think there's also a next wave that you have to reach and where you can learn how to bring it back to your family and what the type mindset What take us to that time frame when you maybe probably started figuring out how to apply the same Navy SEAL stuff to win at home, not just at work. And that's a very applicable question because it's, there's a definitive time. So as you know, anytime you do something like that, that you love so much, I loved being a Navy SEAL. I, I planned on staying in for my entire career, you know, as it was on deployment, we had stopped in Hawaii. I uh, I had already had my next set of orders to seal uh, SDV one, um, and then you know I was I was going to go screen for for development group after that. Um, so when you leave something like that, when it's not on your terms, you do some self reflection, right? And so that's where my real self reflection period in my life started, and it just because you start self-reflecting though, doesn't mean you start correcting all those Amen. mistakes, right? You know, so, but that's, that's got it. That's where it's got to start because you just don't start correcting things uh, without putting yourself through a little pain. And so that's what I did. And when I started leader one, nine, three, my leadership consulting business, you know, I, I had to put my thoughts, my leadership thoughts in a very concise, you know, spectrum, right? They had to be digestible. It had to make sense. And they had to be mine. And, and through that self-reflection, those years between when I left the SEAL team and when I started, it was a constant process. And I was able to very quickly say, okay, here's what I believe from a leadership perspective. And here's where I believe this will help in every aspect of your life. If you take my process, right? And it's not a series of must-dos. Do these four things and you'll, and you'll be a great leader. It's a process and you know we can get into it or not. But when I built it, when I put it together, and when I was going to put it out there for public consumption, I was only going to do it if it applied to every aspect of your life. And and I believe it does. And more than anything else, it, it applies to that personal aspect. So when did that happen? 
like you just said, amen to that. It's a long process, but that's when it started. And when I finally put it down on paper to start the business, that's when I realized, you know, surprise, surprise, I put something down on paper. And then that's when I really started to even more apply it to my personal life. And me and my wife, we go through, we, we you know, we practice what we preach. Um, we go right through our process when we're struck, just like that little thing we talked about, you know, we're working from home, we're, we're homeschooling, we're doing the whole thing. And when it wasn't working, we said, stop. We know the formula. Let's go through it. And that's it. So that's kind of a long and sideways answer to your question, but I, I think I answered it. You did answer it. I want to go maybe a little bit deeper. When you were in the FBI, was there ever a time where you were using your the FBI as like a place to hide from dealing with the thoughts that maybe you were starting to see but weren't ready to deal with? Because I can imagine going from a high-performing unit at the Navy SEALs and then going to the FBI, which is also very work and mission-orientated. Is it easy to kind of not deal with things and maybe go back into the mission accomplishment over everything else? Or is there, were you already starting to unpack some of your stuff at the time of the FBI? No, I, I had, I was, I was pretty well unpacked by that point. So I was able to, I felt pretty good about myself going into the FBI from the standpoint of um, who I was and, and, and what I wanted to do, which is not to say I was single for, you know, I met my wife in the FBI. So I was, I was single in the first couple of few years that I was in the FBI you know, and that makes life pretty easy, right? You don't, you're doing, you know, I work counterterrorism. So you're doing cases, you're traveling and you only have yourself to account for. It was, like I said, it was just a heavy dose after I left the SEAL teams and I went into the private sector where I was really, really, really working on that. So that by the time I got to the FBI, I had already kind of gone through the identity crisis, you know, oh, I'm a Navy SEAL and that's all I am. And then, you know, that's why I advise people. If, if you're attaching your identity to something that can be taken away from you in an instant, you need to reconsider what that identity is. So I was, I was pretty good by the time I got into the FBI. And then um, I left the FBI because of some, some leadership stuff that I didn't like, you know, so, so with that comes some more challenges and, Figuring out what your leadership style is when you start challenging what you see at the top, you have to start questioning like, who am I? What do I truly believe? And well, that and I'm seeing some things I don't believe in that I that I inherently disagree with, and do they match up to the values that I that I set for myself? And and that's what I tell people now again, based on those experiences. Your values aren't your values until they're tested, and and they got tested in the FBI, and and I said, okay. I'm going with me on this. I don't, I don't agree. And it wasn't anything illegal, you know, or anything like that, but it was, it was behaviors. It was a lot of times in business. It's just how people are treated. Well, that's, yeah, that's pretty much what it is, right? That's pretty much what it is. And, and, and the, the thirst for power and to be able to tell people no, just because that's what I say Man, I, I just had a hard time with that. And look, I always make I make this very same caveat for anybody I talk to. This is not to take a gratuitous shot at the FBI, but I will say that they've earned the scrutiny that they've come under recently. But at the same time, some of the best leaders uh, I've ever worked with, worked for, are in the FBI. The problem is they're the outliers. Yeah, you know, Andy, Andy Stump said the same thing when he was in the Navy SEALs. He's like, I've known some of the best leaders in the Navy SEALs, but I've also met some of the worst Navy or leaders in the Navy SEALs. Like, there's always that dichotomy. And 
I've had the same similar experience where you have those leaders that you come into your life. And the one thing that I found looking back is having those leaders reflect back what you are not. I've actually found more value because when you figure out what you don't stand for, that's actually more valuable for than figuring out what you do stand for, because then it allows you to like take a stance, redefine it and even more in concrete. And you've got it on a billboard exactly what behavior you never want to be known for. It's easy to figure out what you want to be known for, but often the harder part is really what are the areas you never want to be into? So when you have those people come into your life, the gratitude from just experiencing a very negative moment like that years down the road, you'd be like, you know what? I now know exactly who I want to be when I'm a leader because of all maybe the people that reflected back the exact opposite of what I wanted to be in myself. 100%. And and you can't have, you pretty much can't have one without the other, right? You've got to, you see one, you say, I want to be the opposite, or you say, I want to be this because I saw that bad thing and I don't ever want to be that. And Andy's, Andy's right. You know, you're going to find, and I don't know Andy personally, um, but you're anywhere you're going to find some of the best leaders and the worst leaders. But what I would say is that the expectation of good leadership is the norm in the SEAL teams. It doesn't mean everybody's a great leader, but you're going to be more inclined to be like, where did that guy come from if he's a bad leader? Whereas in the FBI, you'd be more inclined to say, where'd that guy come from? Like, he's a really good leader. <laughs> where did he come from? <laughs> yeah, you, you realize the rarity of that, uh, that moment, maybe. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. But yeah, so by the time I was in the, F, you know, towards the end of the FBI and those things were happening, again, to your question, I was I was pretty solid in who I am and what I stood for. And it was a, it was a hard decision to make, but only because I was going to have to start over not because I wasn't sure that that's where I wanted to be. And then, you know, me and my wife talked about it long and hard. And, you know, we both said, look, that's... Did you both leave at the same time or did she stay? No, we didn't. So we left ourselves... First of all, we just didn't think it was a good idea to leave at the same time for a lot of reasons. But the first thing was, you know, we did... We had to have a little bit of a safety net. I don't generally work with a safety net. And that's what they say about when you're starting a business you've got to be careful about that safety net that you give yourself because that would might, you know, inhibit you from really doing the things and taking the chances you need to grow. And by and large, I agree with that. That being said, at the time we had two kids and a mortgage and, you know, that would have been dumb for both of us to leave right away. So I started and I was three years in to the business. We realized it was going to work. We were going to make it. We could live off of it and thrive off of it. And then that's when she said, okay, I'll go now. It's still scary because now the, safety net, still scary. <laughs> right? now the safety net is really gone. Uh, but, you know, all's, all's well that ends well. And even, even through this, you know, this, this craziness we're going through now, where businesses like mine are really the first to take a hit, uh, you know, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. So not without its challenges, but yeah. So that's where we are now. So I got to ask before we move on from this area of talking about what was the big truth and lie that you were telling yourself that you woke up to that let yourself kind of come back home and figure out where you were? Because there's so many lies that veterans tell ourselves to get through every day and they become our truth. And it's often when you have to break that truth with a sledgehammer that you really start to figure out who you are and what, what your heart actually looks like on the inside once you unfreeze it. So I'm interested in where, what did you find when you started doing that process? And it's exactly what I start 
my leadership process was with for everybody that I work with and and that I put I apply to myself and I apply to you know my kids and me and my wife apply it to each other when we're doing these things and it's emotional awareness and recognition. I was a highly charged young man. Um, most of what I did was based on emotions and unacknowledged emotions, right? I had an emotion and I acted. And sometimes that was for the good. And sometimes, many times it was not for the good. Um, so it was just, and then if you look back on it, it's really then just random actions. And a lot of those, a lot of those emotions were charged from insecurity, right? I had some real insecurity about who I was as a, as a man, as a leader. Is that why you joined the, the SEALs to kind of feel secure? No, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, and I've, I've thought about that before and I don't think so at all. I, I, I really was drawn to it for the reasons you might expect, right? Just the, the excitement, um, the uniqueness of the mission, um, the fact that not everybody can do it, you know, that may, that look, that may have some bearing on it, but, you know, even in my deep self-reflection, you know, I don't think, I don't think that's what it was, that's what it was about. But, you know, some of the bravado that I showed, you know, in the uh, in the SEAL teams, that's what it stemmed from. It stemmed from some insecurities. And and I, 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 st- I even started to work on it a little bit there, but without even knowing. And that's the problem. It wasn't, it wasn't conscious adjustment that I was making. And I, I'll give you an example, right? The, you know, when we were doing CQB, and I could, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to say that, you know, without having to explain what CQB is to your, your listeners. But you know, we were doing it and what I had seen when we learned it was either the officer or the chief or the senior enlisted, whoever it was in the house was really just directing everybody. Okay, two on that door, three on that door, left side goes first, right? And so I was doing that and it always seemed clunky to me and I didn't like it so much. So one of the, and I had a good relationship with my platoon. And one of the day, you know, one day one of the guys comes up to me and he says, you know, sir, do you do you not think we know how to do this? And I was like, well, of course you do. And he says, well, why do you feel like you need to tell us what to do at every step through the house? Now this was really interesting to me because that's what I had seen, and I knew that's what he had seen. So the fact that he came to me with that, I was like, huh. Now. I had to really make a choice here. And this is one of the places where I've, where I saw, wow, kind of being vulnerable and being honest will help you not hurt you. Because what I felt was if I don't tell everybody what to do, what good am I? What, what, what role do I play in this? So I have to do that. So What's I will be respected. What is my worth if I don't do that? And I wasn't sure what I was going to say. And I just said, to myself, you know what? I'm going to tell him. And I said that. And then I held my breath. And, right, and he started laughing at me. And I was like, oh, God, why is he laughing? I don't know why he's laughing. And he was a great guy. And he goes, sir, he goes, trust me. There's a lot of decisions you need to make that we're going to wait for you to make. Who hits what door first isn't one of them. He goes, don't worry about it. We, we trust you. I was like, okay, cool. Now, I'm not about to say we invented just flowing CQB because I know other places were doing it, but I hadn't seen it yet. Right. And I said, okay, fine. What do you think? He's like, let's just, let's go for it, man. I'm like, good, let's go for it. No talk and go. Right. The whole thing. I think the way everybody does it now, which is not true. I thought everybody did it that way until I trained 
a group in the FBI, when I was in the FBI, we trained the local law enforcement and they were doing what I just described. I'm like, whoa, I thought that went out 10 years ago. But anyway, so that's kind of a, um, you know, that's kind of an area that was one of the few times where I allowed myself to, to be vulnerable and say, I'm just acting on insecurity more than anything else. And it worked out for me. And I was surprised that I didn't. Cause that's what your brain probably told you. <laughs> well, I was, I was surprised that I didn't start doing it more, you know what I mean? Since I saw how it kind of worked, you know, it was still, it was still a new behavior. New behaviors are hard, even though, you know, they're, they're good for you. I want to point out what you just talked about there. Cause it sounds like a really cool story and it is, but there is something buried in that, that I think every dad needs to hear. So if you just heard him say that story, what I want you to realize is when you share something vulnerable, whether it be a thought in your head, the craziest thought, maybe it's the thought that many dads have that I'm a burden on my family. That thought, when you verbalize it, you instantly feel insecure when you say it. Your brain automatically starts saying like, this is a crazy thought. Why am I saying it? You start judging it as crazy, which it is a crazy thought. You can't do that until you start going through the process of saying it. But once you say it, and it can be something very vulnerable like that, or it could just be saying in a meeting at work, I don't have the answer. What you get in that moment when someone reflects back what that Navy SEAL did for you, that's the reason why I always say that like on the other side of the military, many veterans don't find friends, but this is why you need friends. Because when you say something, whatever, whatever category you say of anything, whether it be a thought, a feeling, anything, they reflect back something. And when you have something reflected back like that, you see a version of yourself that you can't see until another human being reflects back. And what I'm sure you know in consulting, in businesses, when a president, a owner, CEO, when they hold that portion of it in and they never give a chance for their executive team, a management team to reflect back their value or what maybe that they can't see themselves, there's so much meat left on the table because they never shared that thought to have the team reflect back something like so much that little micro moment can just 10 X your life. If you just continue to pray. And I'm sure you've seen it as you like, you've taken that breadcrumb and learned it to apply in all these different areas. It's like magic and almost cheating because you'll get the answers you're looking for. If you share what's really on your heart. I couldn't have said it better myself. And it's not, it's not meat on the bone. It's not scraps on the table. It's a feast you're leaving on the table, you know? And sometimes you center your stuff around fatherhood, bring it there. Right. So this is the hardest thing. You know, I told you my kids are young and but they're getting old enough now where they start to, you know, that that analytical brain is starting to kick in. Right. So now they're not just absorbing everything. They've got some thoughts of their own. And, you know, try giving a sincere, heartfelt apology on a, what appears to be a regular basis to your seven year old and your six year old for your behaviors. That is really hard to do. Right. Like, I'm sorry. I just yelled at you for no other reason than I had a bad day, right? Because you were just being seven and and you probably didn't do what you did to get my goat. And so to be able to do that and then have them look at you and go, it's okay, dad. And then you know that you just can feel, like you said, that reflection back, that you have just gained so much trust from them. Right? They don't they don't understand it, but you can see it. That reflection is not just a metaphor. You can you can literally see, wow, thank God I did that. Because they know they can trust me to tell them the truth. So when when I am getting after them when they did deserve it, they're gonna be like, uh, well, 
we probably deserve this one because he's usually pretty honest about telling us when it's his fault. That that space for trust and intimacy, whether it be in business or in fatherhood is something so important. And I always, I've kind of shortened it down over the, my different episodes that like, you want to make sure you're there for the small things because then they'll bring you the big things. And that little micro moment where you apologize for losing your shit, that moment will create the trust that when they have a boyfriend problem or maybe it's their first boyfriend or they're having a feeling maybe of they liking a guy and they don't trust to let it go or they don't trust your reaction. You're an unpredictable father and your kids can't figure out the only thing they can predict is that you're going to lose their shit. You're not, you're going to have one of those teenagers that can't communicate you that is always rebelling, that is always going to try to get your attention and we're both at the right age because this is where that little micro moment happened. And I have a live story that I can share in the last two days. Yesterday, my daughter brought something to me right in the morning. I just got out of the shower and she comes up to me and seemed like initially fine. And then she just immediately starts crying, like just all out. Like you thought I just killed her cat. And I was like, what's going on? She couldn't even really, she was trying to say it, but she was so worked up. And I just stood there. I just put my arm around her and I gave her my presence. I didn't judge it. I didn't say a word. I just let it flow. And eventually she got through it. And she was, there was an incident yesterday on roadblocks and we talked about it and it wasn't that big of a deal, but she was so terrified of what my response was. And my response was, I super appreciate you for sharing that. I, I, you can always bring something to me. Fast forward to this morning, the exact same scenario happens. She, I get out of the shower, she comes up to me and just starts immediately crying again. I'm like, what's going on? Well, today it was something, an issue with one of her close friends. And she was so terrified to tell me. And I, we just sat down. I let her process it again. I didn't judge it. I used my masculine energy to help calm her just by me being calm. And then she told me, and then I'm saying, there's nothing you can't bring me that's going to make me love you less than I do right now. Like you can always bring something. I would, And it's the advice they always preach in the Marine Corps. It's better to tell me the truth now than to me find out you lie later. And then I'm going to be really mad. So the truth will always set you free. And that's what I kind of reinforced. If I was anything other than present and non-reactive in that mode, I would have created a, an emotional memory that she would have remembered how I reacted. And then for future incidences, I would have had to probably find out the hard way. Yeah, well, and, and here's the other thing too. I struggled along those lines. We talk about everything being a process, right? So I was, I had to go from whatever insecurities I had, you know, based on fear. Um, and I just, you know, and then I would spout off, right? That got me in trouble. Then I realized I have to stop. I have to keep my mouth shut. Right, just keep you. So that was the first thing. I, but then I realized I was doing this. That my that's worse, <laughs> okay? Because but in my mind, and for your listeners, I'm rolling my eyes. I'm I'm hitting my head. Right, I'm doing all the nonverbal things where I might as well just said I think that's effed up, right? Because they would have appreciated that more. So to your point, though, so then I had to start realizing, okay, because once again, it was in the SEAL teams, and true to form, the thing I always loved about the SEAL teams was it was honest and it was fast. Right. So I remember I was doing that and there was a chief saying something. I kind of was like, and what's funny was I was rolling my eyes and shaking my head, not totally because I disagreed with what he said, but I was extrapolating something in my own mind about that that could go wrong. And then I rolled my eyes at the thought of something else. But of course, he only looked at me rolling my eyes and he came up to me after he was like, what's what's the deal? What are you rolling your eyes for? Making me look stupid. And I was like, whoa, I'm. I'm sorry, that is not. So I explained it. And then that's when I learned, okay, not saying something 
doesn't mean you're you're better. So fast forward to your story. Just the other day, me and my wife were having a conversation about this very thing. The kids coming to us, and you know, what's it going to be like when it's really something that hits us hard? And I said, you know, I'll probably just take that deep breath and be okay. And she's like, no, no, that's not good enough. Because that deep breath tells them there's something you want to say and and you're not really approving. And now they're not sure. You have to do what you just said, right? You just have to be there, listen, absorb, right? And then discuss. You can't take immediately that information and then have any type of reaction. It's just got to be just like you described. So that that process is constantly ongoing, especially it is, in it, I, and, I, and a lot of it has just come through this year and COVID and just doing an immense amount of growth. And I didn't share it, but my story really got escalated very fast and thrown in entrepreneurship because January 27th, I went into work at my 9 a.m. corporate reorg and ended my eight-year corporate career. And so I got thrust into entrepreneurship, stay-at-home dad life, and then COVID hit. So it's been a year of pressure, but that pressure has made more of my better self come forward. But that stillness only comes when you work in those triggered moments. Like I always say, like when your kids trigger you, that always says more about you than it does about them. And that's your little breadcrumb to figure out like what story did just get triggered? Did you get rewind back to 12th grade? Did you get rewind back to sixth grade when someone punched you from that moment? There's all those little triggers. And the more that you can work on those triggers, the more presence you can bring. And I've really even just worked on that masculine energy that you can bring. And I've noticed with my four-year-old, like she's just super wild and emotional and just like a four-year-old girl should be. And I can just give her a hug, not say a single word and less than 30 seconds, she'll be calmed down because there's no trigger in me. There's no body language that I'm sending other than it's perfectly okay what you're feeling, let it flow and we'll get through it together. And so this same thing, if we're talking about fatherhood, you know, the next in line is husbandhood as you are, you know, because to be a good father, you've got to set that example. And let me tell you something, it becomes a little bit easier to apologize to your kids when you see that they just accept it for what it is. And they're like, it's okay. Right? And then you're like, okay, now I need to make sure not to do that again. It's a whole nother thing when you've got to keep going apologizing to your wife, because you start to get like, I'm sick and tired of apologizing for how screwed, I just keep screwing it up. I'm tired of it. And she's never, she doesn't hold it over me like you need to apologize for that. She handles it just like you described, just absorbing the energy, not reacting, and then allowing me to go off in my own darkness, private hell and be like, okay, you need to go back and apologize for the 40th time this week. But gosh darn it, don't make it 41 next week. <laughs> okay. Just try to try to fix that one. And that's, you know, as you as you have this awareness, this emotional awareness based on what you do on the emotions, you know, I found now it's taken it to the next level. It's it's made me a better husband, but then I find I get so frustrated because I realize all of the silly mistakes I keep making as it relates to my wife. And you know, the little things I take out on her that I'm feeling, right? I had a bad call. Now I'm coming down and I'm going to snap at you because, oh, this is my safe space, right? And that's not that, maybe it's my safe space. It's not her safe space anymore. You know, so you've got to start recognizing that. So, you know, be careful for those listeners and, and for you and me, if you start picking this up, buckle in, you know, it's, it's worth the ride. It's the only it's, ride. It's worth the, the ride. And 
And there's the other side of it when your wife is having, like I always describe them as storms, like almost a hurricane type force. But what you learned in the SEALs to try to get through, the, get to the mission and the, like getting control of your emotions, when you become present with even a category five storm blowing across you that your wife is just in a mood and you're just, it's nothing about you. It may feel like that if you're not emotionally aware, but it has nothing to do with you. And all she needs you to know is that she's not, that you're not going to run. The more wind that she brings, the more hell that she might be throwing at you. And I've learned it from Tony Robbins. Like when your wife starts throwing that stuff at you, there's only one choice you have, love her more. And the only way to love her is just give her the eye contact. Don't give her any body language to read from. And when you create that trust that no matter what she throws at you, that you're always going to be there and not run. And it actually brings more love to the situation. That presence, like that creates the intimacy, the trust that I'm sure you've probably experienced in your business to be able to, to trust each other, that you're going to get through it together because You've been in those moments where you didn't run from each other. And that can be something that many dads get into a trap where we haven't dealt with our bullshit. We run from the emotion. I mean, many dads, even a child, like that child's emotion, like my daughter, they would have ran and just hidden because, and they would have let the mom deal with it because that is something that insecure with themselves. And there's a whole bunch of baggage tied around to that emotion that his daughter just triggered. That's exactly the opposite of what fatherhood looks like and being a leader as a father. Well, and, and, and the words you put in there is trust. And here's, here's how, you, how that word, in my opinion, needs to be applied, right? I have to trust that if she's in a, in a mood like we all get in, she's not trying to, it's not directed at me. I have to trust that she's not trying to hurt me intentionally if she says something. Now, she's really good at that. She knows that when I go sideways and I, and I say something or act a certain way, she's good she trusts that I'm not intentionally doing that to hurt her. And that trust is only built when I come back and go like, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I did that. Right. It's really hard to grit your teeth, but that's, that's been my challenge. Okay. And that, and I can trace that back. I, you know, there's some things, you know, where they come from. There's some things you don't. Sometimes, Sometimes you have to pay a lot of money to a therapist to really get well, to the you the problem, the problem with that, though, is if you're banking on being able to fix yourself going forward based on understanding the past, you're flipping a coin because you may never get those answers. Agreed. But I, I digress for a second because it's a good topic. Um, I have to work on and I have to remind myself she's not trying to hurt me. She's just in a mood. So trust her. When I, ha- when I tell myself that I can do all the things – you just described and and what ipso facto, what a surprise it all works out. Right. You know, she, she kind of, you know, she goes through her paces. I'm trusting that she's not trying to hurt me. And, you know, a hundred times out of a hundred, she comes back and apologizes as if it's a hundred times, like maybe once every two years, she has one of those incidents. It's usually me and we're dealing with us. But yeah, the idea of, um, because you asked that, you know, was going to the SEAL teams some insecurity from the past? And and I don't, again, I don't think so, but I don't know. But here's where I talk to leaders about emotional awareness and recognition. I go, look, I go, for our purposes, it does not matter where this emotion came from. It doesn't matter where the insecurity came from. It doesn't matter where the fear came from. What matters is you recognize it for what it is. You don't judge it. And then we start making decisions going forward. 
I'm not telling you never to go back and see if you can't figure it out. But we don't have, leaders don't have that time, that luxury of time, because those are two separate conversations. So let's just now, and look, that's a hard place to be to say, okay, I'm feeling insecure. Cool. That's fine. How do you normally act when you're insecure? I overcompensate. I, I get louder, right? Blah, 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 whatever it might be. Good. Now you have emotional and cultural awareness. And you have labels for it. And you, well, and you can describe it. You only have the awareness if you can describe it, right? That's it. Now, what, you know, the labels might be different, but as long as they're clear to you what they mean, that's that's good. And now we get to start making decisions going forward. I am aware of this emotion. I am aware of how it drives me to act. Now here's how I want to act. And now I will do everything in my power and my energy to work towards that in spite of the driving force and the pull of the emotion based on, you know, the action based on the emotion that is innate in me. As I just in created an exercise that I think you'll like because it ties back probably to how the Navy SEALs think that if a Navy SEAL ever gets lost, and I'm not sure if actually Navy SEALs ever do get lost, if you guys always know where you are. But I've equated to that when I'm coaching dads, my mindset almost in the very first call is to help them figure out with a GPS mentally initially where on the map they are. Because once you know where you are, then you can go forward. And you don't really need to know how you got where you are, like what you're saying. You just need to know where the fuck you are. And once you know the GPS coordinates where you are, you can chart a course to where you want to go and have the awareness of all the different terrain around you to get to where you need to go. Maybe you've got a mountain in front of you because you got lost in where you are. That mountain is something good, but it's in front of you and you can understand it and tackle it and there's tools to do it. And you don't ever have to understand the path yet of how you got to that spot. And that's so critical in all areas of life is to just do that inventory. How do you, how did you get to this point? Did, was it a messed up relationship with your mom and dad? Was it a messed up relationship with your father? It doesn't really matter. Just a lot of those are cues to go into those places, but just figuring out where you are is so, so important. Well, and that's, that's a great analogy that, you know, the idea that Navy SEALs don't ever get lost. I get to, so <laughs> I just, I'll take your ass a little bit. My, I can get lost in my house. I, I swear to God, but I, I, I can get lost anywhere. I've been, I'll tell a quick story. We were doing, we were doing land nav one day. And this is, again, now remember, this is in the 90s. This is back when they used GPS to be. GPS probably cost $2,000. GPS, there was no GPS, okay? You had map and compass, man. And that was it. And what else you didn't have was night vision, okay? Because back then, there was night vision goggles. Don't get me wrong, but you carried them with you. So when you got on target, you could see it. And they would say, no, you don't patrol in night vision and, you know, your depth perception and so on and so forth, which is obviously was wrong. I was, you know, when I was in Afghanistan in 2010, you know, that's you just you travel in night vision. That's what you do. So as the story goes, right, we're doing we're doing land nav and I just it's pitch black. You can't see three inches in front of your face like you're hitting your ankle on every branch. And I am lost. I am straight lost. I can't find, because I'm in more of the, the woods and the jungle than anything else. So there's no landmark for me to look at. I've got about three minutes to get to my pickup point. I, you know, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I literally didn't know what I was going to do. And over the distance, I see headlights. I, it's so dark. I don't realize that I'm like 20 feet from the road. 
and and the and so the cars come in and I just start and I know who it is. I know it's the instructors. I just start screaming, ah! <laughs> and so they pick me up. They're like, "Okay, explain yourself." And I'm like, I, I, I was so lost that I didn't know I was ever going to get back. So yeah, I fail, but at least I'm not, <laughs> you know, at least, I, at least I'm found now. Anyway, I use that story. You're kind of, your, your business leader to that 193 is kind of like that car to the business standing in the jungle, like, and they find you like, Hey, I'm over here. I need your help. I'm lost. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I wish I had thought about that. But good the, marketing message there. It is a good a marketing commercial. message. But you know, what I tell people about, and it's, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of pivoting a little bit, but when we talk about our instincts and, you know, people will say all the time, well, I, I just act on instinct. Cause I'll ask them, well, you know, why did you make that decision? Why did you do the thing you did? And people are like, oh, I don't know. I've just done it so much. I act on instinct. And, and my point to them is look, understanding your instincts is a process too. You have to understand the thought process to be able to then figure out whether you can trust your instincts, right? What was the emotion? What was the trigger? You know, what was, what triggered the emotion? What was the action? Okay. But if you don't have that think and decide in there somewhere based on that recognition, you're not going to know whether you can trust that going forward. So what's my point? And again, I was, I just seemed to always get lost and I would literally be out there. Right. And, and I'd be like, okay, well, I feel like I need to go that way, but the map and compass says go that way. And I remember the instructors always saying, trust your map and compass. And I remember thinking, what else am I going to trust? Well, now I know you get out there and your instincts tell you to go a different direction. At least they did for me. The point I make to people is I cannot trust that instinct because I followed it one time and it didn't work. Okay. And I got super lost. So if you have a tr an event that triggers an emotion like anger and you just act angrily without thinking about it, well, you're, you're leaving the results to chance. But if you understand that thing made me feel this way and I want to act this way, and you know what? I'm going to make a conscious decision to do it. Okay, good. It may work out, it may not, but at least now you're going to learn something about yourself. I was angry at this thing. I chose consciously to act angry, and it was a disaster. Now I know not to trust that instinct, right? Now I know that anytime I get that feeling, I can't go with it because- That's the emotional trust with yourself. That's what it is. And you, but you have to understand that process. And that goes to tell me where that's not applicable in every aspect of our life, right? Tell me if you didn't employ that behavior, you wouldn't become a better father, a better husband, a better warrior, a better entrepreneur, a better anything, a better neighbor for God's sakes. Um, so that's, you know, again, as we bring it back to what, you know, what you're giving to your audience, which is amazing. And these things on fatherhood and leadership, you know, we, we employ that. You have to trust those. You have to understand your instincts before you decide which ones you can trust. Mm -hmm. And you have to just, that, that trust that you, it's the, when you reveal yourself completely to yourself, like you're okay looking in the mirror and you don't see an ugly face. You don't see a, a lost friend looking back at you and you don't see all these haunted different memories and stories that you haven't dealt with. When you, you don't trust yourself and you look in the mirror then that's when you really need to go into that trust because there are times where you're going to need to be able to trust yourself that you can get through it. Like that moment with my daughter. And I now trust myself. I did it twice. I'm like, I'm getting better. I'm getting where I need to be. And I'm trusting that when she brings me something super big that I'll be ready for it and I'll be training for it. 
I'm interested in pivoting to a different topic because this podcast actually exists because a Navy SEAL, Larry Yach, came into my life. You ever heard of Larry Yach? No. So he helped me through what he calls the desired end state planning process from Navy SEALs, something that you guys use for every mission possible. And he, his wife and him actually do it in the same way. So you guys actually have a similar business. And she walked me through it and helped me get to this idea that my desired end state was to be a dad. And this podcast aligned with that. So I'm interested to see how do you use desired end state in your parenting and maybe understanding how to lead your family? Because a lot of dads just go through the motions. And I'm interested to see how you've used your ability to, predict, to see the future and then work on the steps to predict it and understand where you want to go and the steps you need to do now, the training you need to do now to make sure you get there. So I'm interested to see how it all is unpacked and how you lead your family. Yeah. So the, so a desired end state, you know, I, I, I'm not totally familiar with what I, I get. I can, I, cause I have an answer to the question. Um, but I don't want to pretend that I know exactly what his methodology is. It might've been something that was introduced a little later, but here's what I will say. And this is part of my planning. This is part of my leadership process is the planning process. Okay. And it's just the elements of situation, mission, actions, command, contingencies, control, smack. Right. And that's the planning process we used in the middle in, in, in the SEAL teams. And it's I think it's iterative in every other branch somewhere. You know, everybody's using a form of that. That said, everything. So the things I just described to you uh, in the beginning of this show with me and my wife going, OK, here's how we did it. Here's how we did it. It didn't work. We followed the planning process, which will get us to our desired end state. What is the set? What is the situation? Set of circumstances dictating a need for action. We have to identify what's happening to be able to see, do we even need to take action at all? And if so, why do we need to take action, right? So the, that was easy, right, for us to say, okay, we, we're stressed. We're not getting work done. What then is our mission based on this situation? Now, we can have several missions. We usually have to prioritize those missions. Before we do mission number two, we've got to finish mission number one. But we then set very specific missions, here are the things we need to do, okay? Now, what are the actions that we need to take to achieve those missions, right? And then on it went, which is, I think, a very similar thing to a desired end state. Now, maybe actually a little different that you say, because I can't come up with an end state like your desired end state is to be a dad. Um, I couldn't do that for you. So, But that's how I applied to a degree a, a little of that just military SEAL team vernacular. We don't do anything without a plan. And that's, that's where I go. But I'd be actually interested in hearing a little bit more about what that process was for you, because now I have to steal it and use it for myself. <laughs> Short of it is, is you get walked through this, like you define, you, you just start dreaming about your life, where you see it in the future. And then you go to like worst case scenario, and then you go to best case scenario. And then you just start visualizing it, start identifying what you need to do, what really makes sense, what, and that you eventually just get whittled down to really where you need to be. I mean, I was in a workshop with him later on, and he actually did the process with getting a sandwich for lunch. So, like, it's super, like, it's a complex process, but it can be applied to even the simplest thing is, do I really want a sandwich for lunch? Or I think it maybe was started with, I'm hungry. How do I solve this problem? And he applied a desired end state of, I desire a sandwich right now. Yeah, I think so. I think it's very, I think it's very similar because I use, I use very much the same examples when I talk about the planning process. If you think about it, every time you get up from your chair, you are in one way, shape or form trying to accomplish a mission and you can apply the elements of smack to all of that, right? What is the situation? The situation is 
I have to go to the bathroom. If I don't get up, I'm going to go to the bathroom on myself, right? We don't think that way, but that's what's happening. What's my mission? To get to the bathroom before I, you know, blah, blah, blah. What are my actions? I have to pull my chair out. I have to stand up. I have to turn around. I've All these things. And the reason that's important, and again, that's an extreme example just to show in everyday life, you are actually applying it without even knowing it. But if we start acting without doing that process first, and so I get, it sounds like we, you know, me and him are doing very similar things, which is not surprising. We just start acting. We're never going to know whether we should have done that to begin with or not, unless we thought it out first, because the plan will tell you whether you should do that or not, right? How will it tell you? It will tell you in contingency planning, which, which you just said, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen, this, that, and the other thing. Well, if we start planning something, we visualize something that's going to happen. We go through the steps and we say, okay, now let me hit some contingencies. What are some of the things that can go wrong as I do this? And you might, you're going to find a few things. Then you've got to decide to yourself, okay, am I willing to accept that risk? Can I mitigate that risk, right? Can I pivot from that risk? If the answer is yes, you're going, you're good. If the answer is no, if that's a possibility that that thing can happen, I'm not ready. Good. You've just saved yourself a lot of time. And now what you've probably identified are your gaps. Your gaps in, I'm not willing to accept that for these reasons. Now, what do I need to do to close those gaps? I need to get some more education. I need to hire some more people. I need to work on some personal improvement because whatever it is. But until you go through that process, okay, before you act, Man, you're you're just acting randomly, and who knows what you're going to get? And and that's what I see. So people ask me, well, Errol, so what? You go through smack every time you turn the corner, and I'm like, kinda, especially, yeah, especially in the FBI, right? When I work the street, okay, and you turn the corner in a bad neighborhood, you've got a whole new situation going, and you've got to have a whole new mission, right? My mission is to get there without getting shot. Right? What are the actions I'm going to take? What are the contingencies? Every time I leave my home office and I go downstairs to now pivot from businessman to father to husband, I better have some intention going down there. I better be able to say, okay, the situation for me is I'm transitioning from father, from a worker to husband. What is my mission? My mission is to leave everything in my workday behind. My actions will be to go kiss my wife, hug my kids and make a joke, whatever it is. So yeah, you're damn right I do. Because otherwise, what am I doing? Oh, Errol, that sounds awfully robotic. And it doesn't sound like you're really flowing with life. Hmm. Let me let me answer you this way, person who says that to me, because they say it to me all the time. What do you think my wife and kids appreciate more? Me planning my intention to be the absolute best version of myself before I see them? Or just winging it and hoping it works out. Oh, well, when you put it that way, well, yeah, that's how I'm putting it. Your plan so, is looking for you to lead and your plan is how to lead yourself better. Right. So, so yeah, you better have a plan, right? You better have an intention before you do anything. And those are the elements. So, yeah, it sounds like, what's what's his name? Because now I'm going to- Larry Yach. Larry, Larry like you sounded and then Y-A-T-C-H. 
And I did look up, there was an output of that program, which is called a negative desired end state and a positive desired end state. So my negative, which I, this was written in September of 2018, to avoid an environment where I feel like I'm not accepted, that I am not worthy and I don't trust myself so that I don't surrender control of my life over to my ego and lose my wife, ensuring that I make the most of my time that I've been given. And then the positive side, the opposite spectrum of that, which is where I've been leading, which is where I got to the dad podcast to create an environment where I feel hopeful to give the gift of hope to other families and dads because I have achieved personal freedom, enabling me to ultimately provide the gift of experiences and travel to my family. I mean, that's, that's beautiful. And what, you know, and what, um, what I really appreciate about it coming from a, a, a former seal and, um, and I see this a lot, right? Cause like, you know, we all look at what the other one's doing and everything we do is really based in the same stuff, right? You can, but we all do do it a little bit differently. We all put our own little spin on it where, you know, somebody may not like the way Larry does it, but they're like, oh, there's this guy, Errol, sending the same message, but I kind of like his delivery or his thing better. And that's, that's the beauty of it. Um, so I appreciate that. I'm going to look at his stuff and, and that's a lot that you glean from his, his work. Like I mean, it's one of those moments beautiful. that really just, uh, it, it was exactly what I needed because I had five podcasts that are all different. Like none of them were any close to each other. And I had no idea what I was supposed to do. And because I've always had many ideas, I just never knew which one was the right one. And this one really riddled down where I was supposed to be. I have one question I want to ask, because there's always a moment where many veterans, they don't recognize the value of their life and experiences, sad or positive. And as much pressure as, as COVID has applied in 2020, has there been a moment this year, more than most, where you pulled some memory, some experience, some training, some instinct, where you're like, God, I'm so glad that I had that moment happen to me, positive or negative, because it prepared you to make sure that when life is happening for you in 2020, you were ready for it. Yeah, not a, not necessarily a moment that I look back on and say, thank God I had it. Um, and if I had to pick a moment, it would be the moment that I decided to leave the FBI. But it was more, th we were thankful for that we have put together this company that is a actual leadership, you know, and developed a leadership process that's applicable everywhere. And we just use it. We use it over and over and over again. And it's it's funny it's funny you should say that Ben because literally yesterday my wife was you know she does all the marketing and, and posts all the stuff and she was you know I just I just read you know reread your blog on you know um, you know acting um, you know kind of as a default mode of operation she goes it's just so applicable right now because we're just it's so easy to get to get constrained by the uh, by the uh, by the fear of the unknown on this thing and the stress and, and we're just acting. And dress and it up is good and fine. What's that? And dress it up with good and fine. That's right. <laughs> that's right. But no, you know, and, and so she was, so I was thankful for, you know, the fact that we've got this thing and we're using it and it works for us. And I think it works for other people. So that's kind of a, it sounds like a, a pitch, a final pitch for my book answer, but it's not, it's, it's, it's honest because we wrote that thing. And that just, you know, it was like, Man, I don't know if anybody's going to like it, but it's what I believe. <laughs> so here it is. That's the truth that people, like when you try to speak to what people really think they want, that's when you're off the mark. It's really when right. you speak from what you want to say. And I have a similar moment for, I found Dave Ramsey when I was in 2014 and we had about $80,000 in debt and we spent four years killing that debt and we were debt free and we still are debt free. 
if I would have lost my job and had all the student loans, all the car payments, my life, my dreams, I would be right back in corporate America and everything that I was trying to achieve would have been jeopardized. And that four-year journey of killing my debt, if that wouldn't have happened, I would have had a completely different 2020 when I did lose my job. I bet. I'll bet. And I'll tell you what, that debt, that business debt is real. We got, so we, I didn't even, you know, when you start a business, you don't even, you don't even know, right? You've got your idea (laughs) and then everything else just swamps you. And then before you know it, you're looking at your finances and you're like, whoa, we're in debt, (laughs) you know? And so we got, you know, we busted out of our debt in 2018. Uh, So that was good. And then, um, it just it just triggered something because I remember feeling really really good about saying wow we we just we just cleared that and now debt. your ability to weather this storm is even stronger right absolutely because you because have more of the cards in your hand than the bank like when you have yep. debt the bank owns your options and oh. they have more of the deck and it's stacked against you in many cases and by the American dream standards and you need all the deck in your hands especially in 2020 because you can do so much more in life you lose your job like you have a thousand possibilities but if you have a lot of debt. You really only have one choice. You got to go back and work for the man again. You're, you're, <laughs> there's no, nothing else to say about that because that is, there's no truer statement. Even your wisdom to leave the FBI and to do something scary gave you the, the opportunity to not homeschool your kids. And I mean, you're already 50, but I often travel. I'm only 36. So when I try and travel, when I'm 50, these years, no matter what happens, like I'm going to have so much gratitude for this year of 2020. I've never had more clarity. I've never seen my life in more 2020 in 2020 than in 2020. So like all of this, this year has, as long as I don't die from COVID, it'll be like the first year that I truly felt alive. And I'm sure my kids will have this as a very strong memory, no matter what happens, because I've been home the entire year being present with them. Yeah. Well, look, and it's, it's again, to the, to the, to the methodology and the process of leadership, what I'll tell people around culture is, you know, you know, you have a culture when it propels you during the good times and then it sustains you during the bad times. Uh, Because, you know, again, if you're, if you're being propelled right now, you've just, you've lucked into an area that is able to take advantage of this. If you're like the rest of us who are like, okay, we've got to figure this out. And, and you are now building on, or you are still maintaining what you do, what you did on March 3rd, right? Before this even became a thing. If you're still doing those things now, you've got a good culture, right? That means everything was in place and the, these are the behaviors. This is how we plan and, and, and we, we pivot as necessary, but we still stay true to this core process. You're in good shape. And that's, I, I think we'll have the same memory of 2020. It just, it keeps, every time I hear a governor say, you know, we're going to close the state back down, I want to go strangle somebody, um, which is a whole nother issue, you know, around our health and what, what problem we really have here. Do we really have, do we have a, a COVID problem or do we have a health problem? And we have a health problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, chickens are coming home to roost. They, they, they absolutely are because it's very clear who the people are, who are, who are dying from this. And, and that's that's a different topic, but my point is, you know, I, I think we're going to have that same clarity and appreciation for how we handled ourselves during this thing. It's not over, but we're feeling pretty good about it. And I think hopefully we'll look back with the same, I don't know, pride. I don't know if that's pride. Or, I, I'm just reflecting back on the 
the enjoyment that I actually was present because many dads can be going through this time and just working more versus enjoying them kids being home. Maybe if they're being homeschooled or stepping into a lesson to help your kids, like there's a lot of rare opportunities that you're getting this time around. And there's a lot of dads that aren't even acknowledging the opportunity exists. So I'm just going to yeah. show a month's gratitude that I was super aware to actually just be present choose dad mode over business or anything. Like I almost yeah. always default to dad mode because that's what yep. matters. And that's the part that really is going to leave the legacy, which is something we talk a lot a lot in the podcast about is your family is your legacy, which is what most veterans don't switch. We get stuck on why did my friend die and I lived, but it's really the legacy of family that's going to make your friend dying worth the sacrifice for you to come home and be a great dad. I want to yeah. wrap up the interview and give you an opportunity to share a little bit about your book and where we can get it. And then also what is the parting piece of advice you want to make sure that every dad gets from your experience and your ability to lead your family? Oh, yeah, I, I will. And I, and I have a piece of advice that I, I think it will be good, but you know, first the book is the process art and science of leadership, how leaders inspire confidence and clarity in combat in the boardroom and at the kitchen table. And I don't, I will put the shameless plug here is the book <laughs> right. um, and everything leader 193. That's my company. So my, my website is leader 193.com. You know, there's, there's a tab for the book there. You can get it on Amazon as well. And then everything about my business practice we're, we're, you know, we're opening up, we're doing open leadership retreats starting in January. I do this thing called the Wim Hof method. So everything about me and my practice in the book, uh, is leader one nine. Yeah, we got so caught up on family and fatherhood. I forgot to ask you some of the things that you're probably well, well known for more is some of your uh, cold weather training and just your Wim Hof stuff. Like I, I got so excited about talking about being a dad, I forgot to go into those categories. Hey, well, you know, maybe we'll do it another time. If 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 you don't, if people don't run you off the air for having me on your show, we can get back and because we use the Wim Hof method here, uh, you know, for the whole family. And the cold exposure, even the kids, and we, you know, to get them, get them ingrained in that. So that might be another, you know, I, I love talking about that for sure as well. Um, well, it definitely gives us the, a reason to continue our friendship and conversation in a future episode. Well, good, good. I, I appreciate it. And and look, the piece of advice I would give is there's plenty of time to, to fathers. Now, what is they're like? Whoa, what? No, time is running short. That's not what I mean. There's plenty of time. So when your daughter pulls you aside and says something, you have three minutes to listen. There's plenty of time. You have it. You have 10 minutes to go out and play superheroes with your kid. You can or do a lot in 10 minutes. Teach it, right. Or, or, or teach them how to parallel park. There's plenty of time. Um, and that's what I mean by there's plenty of time. If you are sitting here thinking, I don't have time to do that, you have just gone off the reservation, man. Uh, there's, there's 24 hours in a day and you've never to- had more time in, in the, in the, in the entire existence <laughs> of the human society. And you don't need to go inside target. You can literally just park your car and they bring it to you. Like we've had abundance of time with I me. Mean, we don't even, do, we don't do our dishes. We don't do the laundry. All of these things that occupied everybody's time in the past is now gone. We just find these bullshit reasons to lie to ourselves that we've never had more time. But literally, there are so many things that have opened up our time. We just continue to live that lie that, oh, time's this thing that I never have enough of. But that's really just you hiding from something you need to acknowledge or bring to a consciousness. And it's and it's and it's and it's you just deciding to live on the emotions of stress and negativity and say, I'm gonna focus my 
my time and my energy on things I can't control. And survival mode, something that comes up. That's right. And survival mode, as opposed to I can control the love that I create around this family and trust that that brings more positive vibration, which it does than the other stuff. So that's kind of the, that's what I would say to people. That's what I would say to people. But yeah, I, look, I, I hope, and we can come do it again, talk about Wim Hof method and how we use it in the family and all that stuff. But well, I'll definitely keep that in mind because I've been doing a little bit more focused series on that. So I'll bring you back just for that. And we won't have to worry about talking about your book. We can dive right into the meat <laughs> potatoes of everything that is the Wim Hof. All right. Sounds good, man. Well, I appreciate your time and I appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing your story. And I really appreciate all the wisdom that you shared. I know we brought some dads home on this episode by connecting some stories and having a little bit of fun with it at the same time. So I really appreciate your time today. I, it, it's my pleasure. And thank you. And keep up the great work. This is good, great stuff you're doing. Thank you for checking out this episode with Errol Dobler. I can't tell you, I know there are options out there and I appreciate every time you guys stop by and check out the content that I continue to put out here on military veteran dad. And this episode was a little bit hard to figure out the number one takeaway because there was so much information and so many good pieces of wisdom dropped in this episode but the big one for me was creating emotional awareness. We talked about it in business. We talked about it at home. That emotional awareness with trust. Trust was a word we probably said over, felt like 30 times as I was re-listening to this episode and appropriately titled this episode with that word because that emotional awareness to what you feel on the inside and what your team members and your family around you feel in those same moments there are so many different things within those moments to create trust and stability of who you are and how you react to your kids, to your wife, to your employees, whatever it may be. There was so much truth within the idea of an emotional awareness and bringing it to the surface. And like you said, in business, you don't need to necessarily know where the insecurity comes from, just making yourself aware of it and understanding how you normally react and changing that response to get a different reaction the next time that that situation happens and you can begin to change it. So in business, it's a little bit easier, but sometimes when it's very personal, it's your family and it's consistently always there, there is a deeper way to go into what that is. And if you have any types of ideas, what this looks like, and you are hungry for more information, go ahead and go over to bencloy.com because at bencloy.com, we have the exclusive program for military veteran dad. It's called It's Time to Come Home Coaching. It's an eight-week program. I offer a free 45-minute session, and in that session, we can help discover what is really going on in the inside and draft a vision for your life, what you really want and where you want it to go. So if that sounds like something that you're ready for, go ahead, head over to bencloy.com. And like always, have an amazing week. I hope that everything happens this week that you're supposed to and is going to be everything you wanted to. This is week two for virtual for me. So continue to, to keep me in your prayers because I'm barely hanging on some days. But I will check in with you guys again on Friday.